0: The first arm is the title insurance aspect, which protects the homeowner or the home buyer from defects against, let's say fraud, forgery, incapacity, or even impersonation. So it protects the title that they are purchasing a home free and clear of any encumbrances from previous sellers or previous owners.
1: This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors, and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Jack Lin. Jack is a title officer here in the Bay Area, and on this episode, Jack will give us the inside scoop on how the title and escrow process works. After listening to this episode. You should have a good understanding of what they do and you'll learn some tips on how to save money on closing fees. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, contact me at Sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, download the free ultimate Bay Area investing handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. All right, Jack, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself
0: and let us know who you are and what do you do? Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, Sean, for having me. My name's Jack. I'm a business consultant for a title company in California. And I have been in the real estate industry since 2010. I started in the real estate world on the lending side, and then followed by the real estate side. And then now I'm in the title and escrow world.
1: Perfect. And how'd you get there? How'd
0: you get the title? Good question. Funny story, when I was in the lending side, I'd always see the title and escrow people come in our office and I sort of envied their job. But then I also am a very curious person by nature. So the title world is about the history of the home, right? Who owns it? You know, kind of what condition that property's in. So my curious nature, I have just fell into the world by kind of researching properties and always finding that title issues, claims, and kind of how ownership can change. I always felt that very interesting and fascinating. So that's kind of how I, I decided I'd try it out. It's still within the real estate world. And I joined my company now about four years ago. And actually, I, I love it every day because I get to research different properties and kind of research different scenarios. And, you know, whether it be a property owned by six people or eight people, that all passed away.
1: Oh, got it. And so I think, yeah, you were the first person that I've had on my show. From title and escrow company, can you tell us, you know, what is title? How does it work? What do we use it
0: for? Okay, yeah. So the title and escrow world is very different. Like most consumers don't really interact with a title and escrow company until they buy a home. Their home is probably the biggest investment that a home buyer would purchase, right? And they probably don't purchase homes every year. So the t- their title and escrow, well, there's really two arms to it. The first arm is the title insurance aspect, which it protects, you know, the homeowner or the home buyer from defects against, let's say, fraud, forgery, incapacity, or even impersonation. So it protects the title that they are purchasing a home free and clear of any encumbrances from previous sellers or previous owners, whether it be, to you know, so imagine like a chain of title being like a a linked chain. Now, each chain is a different owner. So property that was built in the 70s might have had a dozen owners since, right? And so we have to research that all the way back to the original owner and make sure that all of those transfers were legitimate in order to protect the buyers, because we don't want to have the buyers purchase a home, get into a home, and then all of a sudden, have a a missing heir from a previous owner show up and knock on their door, which has happened before.
1: Uh, Okay, so then what happens in that scenario?
0: So in those scenarios, most of the time it is covered by the policy. So again, that's where kind of the first initial underwriting aspect happens. And that happens in escrow. So which is a perfect segue because the escrow side is the facilitation of the money and the contract. So the escrow side is a neutral third party. They're independent, and they're a neutral intermediary that helps to manage the money. So for example, let's say you're the seller and I'm the buyer. We get into contract. I'm buying your home. The funds aren't changed. The property isn't changed until all our instructions are met. So your instructions, my instructions, and all the conditions of the contract are met. So the escrow officer and the escrow company maintains the privacy of the client, and they safeguard the funds and all the documents.
1: Yeah, it's basically like, I guess to put it in a different scenario, imagine one of those like, you know those movies where you have like drug, drug dealers and you have... The whole hostage, yes. Yeah, you're holding hostage, you're like, oh, give me the money first, no, give me the goods first, and you have to swap it. But escrow is good because you're some
0: person in the middle Someone gets the goods, someone puts in the money, and then he's hot for you, right? Exactly. So most cases, almost all cases, the transaction is handled with a neutral party in the middle. The funds, for example, I'm buying your house. I'm not writing a check to you, right? My bank isn't sending the money directly to you. It's all being sent to the escrow company. And the escrow company then, based on the contract and the terms of the contract, then will transfer title. And once all the signatures are all met and all the... T's are crossed and I's are dotted.
1: So in that previous scenario where you said that someone comes out of nowhere and says, hey, I'm an heir to this property. You sold it already. Title covers it. What does that mean by covering it?
0: Yeah, good question. So very similar to, let's say, your car insurance. If you get in an accident today, if something happens, you would open a claim. So in this instance, based on the situation, if someone comes forward or if there is a title issue, let's say there's a boundary issue or... Uh, an easement issue, then at that moment, the owner would open a claim with the title insurance company. Uh, we will provide the necessary legal counsel. Uh, we, would, you, we typically would pay for the attorneys to come forward and to help resolve that. So there was a, a case that actually happened. It was a fraud case, actually, and it was a fraud case that happened in Sunnyvale. This happened about four years ago. The property was owned by an individual the individual held title to himself, but his sister was sick in Mexico. So actually, he flew back to Mexico for an extended period of time to take care of his sister. And at that moment, he had left the property with his kids, adult kids. And so when he had came back a few years later, he actually came to his house in Sunnyvale, knocked on the door, uh, realized the keys weren't working, knocked on the door, and found out, found someone living in the house. That was not his kids. And so at that moment, they called the police. The buyer, of course, of that property uh, was freaking out, saying someone's owning this house. They had bought this property. It turns out that the property was f- it was f- fraud. They forged signatures. They forged a death certificate and were able to get that property sold. And so, you know, in this case, the kids went to jail and the title company actually had to remediate and kind of take care of that. So... I believe in this case, the title company had purchased that house back um, and then had to, of course, ensure, take care of the buyer because that's the ultimate buyer, the buyer of that property needed to be made whole again. So that's an extreme case of title insurance.
1: Right. So like the kids basically forged the death certificate saying their father passed away, sold the house to some other buyer. And then when it turns out, OK, this guy still owns the house. So mm-hmm. the tile company bought the house back from the buyer, I guess, at the same purchase price or, uh, you know,
0: I don't know the details of, of that one it happened a few years ago, but because the title policy covered the buyers, then that policy kicked in to make the buyers whole. So yes, I would assume that they would, the title policy would have to purchase the home at the original price to make sure that the buyers, they got what they paid for, uh, which is a policy to protect them against fraud, forgery, any encumbrances and all of that. Wow, that's crazy. Again, it's an extreme case. We don't see that every day. But that's something that I, in our office we still talk about because... A lot of times in the escrow world, a lot of real estate agents, investors, buyers, they're all pushing to close really quickly. And there are safeguards that need to be put in place to make sure that everything is taken care of, that the due diligence is there to make sure that once we close, we're insuring the buyer. So if anything happens and if if anything is missed, that can cause more issues. So that's why a lot of times you'll hear the escrow world say, hey, we're not ready to close yet, or we still need XYZ documents. And that's because of the due diligence process.
1: And what kind of timeline are we talking about for due diligence?
0: Just like how every every house is different, right? Even in the same neighborhood, you could have a house that has different views, that have different parking, right? Um, Every home's different. And usually the older the home, the more character it has on the title side, and I say character with, you know, how do I say it? Each home has its character on the title side because there could be different cases. A home could be owned by five people. A home could be owned by one individual and has never been sold, right? So of course, in the same neighborhood, if that one home has never been sold, I'd imagine it close a lot quicker than a home that's owned by five individuals with two private loans on it and two of them live out of the country, right? So with that being the case of course that would take a little bit longer to get all the documents in place versus having one individual that owned the home for the past 40 years free and clear and but like ballpark on both scenarios absolutely i've seen transaction close in 24 48 hours and actually i we have a case in in our office it's a it's been a three-year escrow so far really it still has not closed yeah
1: what's the reason for the delay
0: There's litigation. So there's litigation on it. Both sides have their attorneys. So it's still technically stuck in escrow. So they are waiting. That one is a huge property um, in Atherton. And so yeah, there's, it's still stuck in escrow.
1: Got it. So litigation can keep a property stuck, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, what does that mean for like clean title and clouded title? I've heard these terms used before.
0: Good question. The title, just imagine the title to the home. The title to home and the preliminary title report is sort of like a credit report of the house. So if there's a cloud on title or if there's any liens on a title, it just basically means it's encumbered and there is some item that could be cleaned up or addressed. So typically we see clouds on title if there is an individual that passed away and they're hold, they on title, right? Let's say husband and wife, wife passed away. Um, that technically is a cloud on the title and we need to get that cleaned up. Typically in those cases, we'll ask for an original death certificate. And depending on how they're holding title, either a probate is required or sometimes right of survivorship happens. And so it just, it's a very quick cleanup. We just need a copy of the death certificate. And then the surviving spouse takes the property.
1: Uh, I've heard of probate sales in the past. And is that basically when someone passes away without uh, like a written will in place? Exactly. Yeah, so how does that work? Like, It has to go through a probate process and the judge then decides who gets the
0: actual property? Exactly. So if a homeowner or title holder passes away and the title is vested without a right of survivorship, or let's say not through joint tenants, because joint tenants is a right of survivorship. So let's say you and I own property as joint tenants. If I pass away, it's automatically passed to you because that's what joint tenancy is. But if an individual, let's say I hold title, Jack, Lynn, a single man, and I pass away and I don't have a trust, then in that instance, then and the property is not held in a trust, that means there's no instructions on how this home is to be disposed of. Um, So in that instance, then it is required to go to probate court. And based on the judicial process, then the courts will determine. And most of the case that we see, if there's a living trust, then the trust will explain how that property is to be disposed of. And worst case scenarios we see, and I'm sure you remember the Michael Jackson estate that was in probate court and there were a lot a lot of heirs that came out of the woods claiming to be rightful heirs to his estate so that's a, a recent case that we saw that was a probated case and a lot of people came forward and came to the courts and said hey i own a part of that property i am an heir so
1: nice i mean i'd be down to own some of that neverland ranch as well <laughs> yeah um i mean for flippers i think one of the most for the most part, because we buy it and then we do the rehab. Our biggest challenge is mechanical liens on our properties in case something happens. I have been told that at every phase of whatever job you do, you eventually have your contractor sign a mechanical lien waiver.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: So what is that? And is there an official document or is that just some paperwork you can just draft up and have them sign in?
0: That's a a good question. And Keep in mind, the content that I'm talking about is specific to kind of the title world. And it is my personal views. It is not that of my employer. But typically for mechanic liens, the title companies will have their own waiver. And if they have their own waiver, it's to basically protect the title company. So most of the time, if we encounter a mechanic lien situation or if there's work that's been done, then at that instance, we will have our waivers or our indemnities signed by the contractors to protect against mechanic liens, because that's actually one of the biggest claims that a lot of title companies have.
1: So basically, every title company has their own mechanical lien waiver like documentation. I guess that also means that before you sell your house, you should already know who you're going to open escrow with, right?
0: Yes. So typically most investors purchase properties knowing that they're going to rehab and flip it most of the time. So given that they usually plan ahead, they know kind of that they're going to sell the property, they get what's called a binder policy. And it's basically a discounted policy because they're going to purchase the property, rehab it within a, short amount of time, and then go ahead and sell it. So it's kind of like a two-for-one special. And usually in those instances, since they are rehabbing it, most of the time escrow is involved and there are necessary paperwork to for the homeowners and the contractors and subcontractors to fill out.
1: If you buy a binder policy, how good is it
0: until, you know... In this industry, two to three years. So it's good for two to three years. It can be extended, but most of the time, the title companies will require an additional fee for that.
1: Uh, What kind of a differential are we talking about here in terms of price?
0: Typically, it's a lot. So in our instance, you're looking at... So when you purchase the property and then you sell the property, it's about an 80% discount on the actual policy, just the title policy.
1: Uh, You mean the second time around, right? So instead of paying like 100% now, 100% later, it's 100%, 120% for a binder. Correct. Okay, got it. Yeah, and it varies company to company, but that's typically how it's structured. Right. I was also wondering, what is the difference between title companies? Good question.
0: So there's a few differences. So you have the direct underwriters. So you have the direct underwriters, meaning they are the title insurance company and they underwrite the policy and issue the policy. And then you have what's called agency. So agency in the title insurance world typically means that they underwrite or they are an underwriter. So they have the ability to write on multiple companies, very similar in the real estate world or the lending world as a direct lender and a broker. So yes, most of the time you have a direct underwriter or you have an agency underwriter or a underwriter that can underwrite different company paper.
1: I guess to clarify, from my experience, right, I'm like outside this world, I don't even know. I've worked with companies like Orange title orange coast title something like that uh, i work with uh, first american i've worked with chicago merrill lynch i forgot oh, whatever anyways i've worked with different title companies at the end of the day it's like it's like a similar service do you know uh, what the difference is though
0: yeah so what's good about the title insurance industry it is a, it is a regulated industry so title companies are fall do fall under the california department of insurance in california So the fees, the service, the type of product they issued are industry standard. Typically what it boils down to, and in my opinion, it's the service you get and it's how big the company is. Regardless of company, as long as you're working with a title insurance company that has the reserves, that has the standing to be able to protect the insured, That's kind of what you're looking for. For example, in 2000, around, I want to say around 2009, 2010, there were some title companies that went out of business locally here in Silicon Valley. Uh, There were some title companies that were acquired by other title companies. And even to this day, maybe 10 years later, I'm getting phone calls about a title issue that was written on a different title company's paper you know, basically they have an insurance policy from a company that's no longer around. So, and that becomes an issue. If they were a company that was acquired, we'd have to track down to see which company acquired that previous title company and see if they'll stand by the existing policy. So again, they're all pretty much the same, but I want to say work with one that you feel comfortable with and how would you feel comfortable with one? Make sure that they have the reserves to protect their insured and make sure that the customer service and the title underwriting side is legitimate.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also I think for the most part, most people rely on their agents to just open and handle all that escrow paperwork anyway. And usually it's the seller, right? Usually the seller opens escrow and
0: title. Yeah, so typically it really depends on who's paying for it. Typically, and there's customary practices in different parts of California, but in Silicon Valley, In Santa Clara County specifically, it's a seller pay county. So typically the sellers will have that escrow already opened.
1: That's right. Every county has their own customary practices. Yeah.
0: You're right. Practices, not regulations, because everything's
1: negotiable in real estate. Okay. And can we kind of talk like costs? Like what is the average? How do you calculate costs for title and escrow?
0: It's a good question because on the sales side, it's actually a big book. It's not like real estate commissions where it's a certain percentage or a flat fee. It ranges on the dollar amount and the price. So on average, title policy can cost anywhere between 1500 to 3000, 4000, 5000. I mean, if you're insuring a 20 million building, a 20 million dollar building, the title policy is going to be in the tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, right? So it depends. But in on average in Silicon Valley, the title cost is the title and escrow fee is typically around $3,000 to $5,000. It's kind of in that window in Silicon Valley. Now it's different in Central Valley. It's different in Southern California. And the fees are filed, so they're all public. So the consumer can actually go on the Department of Insurance's website and take a look at the cost per company and per their price.
1: Cool. I also know that when we're closing... Uh, Besides the title insurance policy, someone actually does the whole breakdown of all the different costs and they create that giant sheet for you. What's it called again? that's...
0: That's a final closing statement or an estimated closing statement. Yes. So that's prepared by the escrow side. So as I had mentioned earlier, there's really two arms to the title and escrow world. There's the title insurer, which is the title which is the preliminary title report or the final title policy. And you have the escrow side that actually prepares all the paperwork. So most of the time in Northern California, specifically the uh, escrow officer will prepare that final closing statement for for the buyer and
1: the seller. Is that like an additional cost on top of the title or is it all kind of wrapped into one in that
0: $3,500, $5,000? Good question. So there's the title fee and an escrow fee. Now the title fee is based on is basically the insurance policy and then there's an escrow fee and again those are tiered based on price. So if you were let's say you're selling a home for 300,000 versus selling a home for 3.5 million, the title and escrow fee for that will be respective.
1: Uh so like I said, that 3500 number you quoted before, that's just title or is that escrow and title?
0: It's combined. So I combined it. So on average, the average combined fee for title and escrow services in Santa Clara County is between three to five hundred, three thousand to five thousand dollars. So yes, that's part of the escrow fee. Got it.
1: Because you know, uh, when we're analyzing our properties, we typically do something called like a seven percent for total closing costs. You know, five percent usually goes to our agents, two point five on the sell side, two point five on the buy side, and then we budget about two percent for closing costs. Right. Closing costs. It doesn't seem like. I think we're budgeting too much, right? 2% for closing costs if it's only cost like 5000 or so. What, what other closing costs do you think I'm missing in that, in that number?
0: See, the term closing costs is very, very broad. So we have a calculator on my website that allows you to calculate the title and escrow costs because there's also third-party costs. You have lender costs, you have county recording costs, and you have probably any third-party costs that if you're let's say you have property inspections let's say you have you know natural hazard disclosures so aside from that i can say is for title and escrow fees they're all public and they're all available and they can't be changed so it's we need to stand with the california department of insurance and the fees we file with them so those fees are set and even for for example i I work for title insurance company if i buy a house today i'm still paying those fees i don't get any discounted pricing
1: Makes sense. Those uh, county recording costs you're talking about, is that the same as transfer taxes
0: or is that something else? Good question. So there's recording fees and then there's also county transfer taxes or city transfer taxes. So the recording fees is basically what the recorder office charges and city transfer taxes is basically which each city determines how much they collect if a property is transferred.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So I guess all in all, yeah, maybe it does account for 2% of your total sales price.
0: Yeah. So I would check with your mentor or check with a partner or even a broker. If you work with a real estate company to kind of see what they typically use as a general buffer or general number percentage, because home prices vary everywhere, depending on even the city, the county and some title company, depending on how they structure their fees. You know, you may have recording fees, you may have special recording, special courier fees. So it's always safe to use the calculator and to be a little bit more bigger kind of with that quote.
1: Exactly. You know, I have had several transactions in Santa Clara County recently, and I've encountered a whole bunch of stuff. Like, for example, I guess some paperwork didn't come in on time and we missed the cutoff. Right. Like you, what time do you need to record in Santa Clara County before you have to wait the next day?
0: So Santa Clara County, for me, I typically would say if everything is, it depends. Okay, so I'm going to take a backtrack here. By receiving the documents, do you mean receiving the signed documents or receiving documents to sign? Because that could make a huge difference.
1: Yeah, let's say all of our paperwork is done, signed documents. Signed documents. FedEx
0: into the office, yeah. FedEx into the office. So typically if we receive all the signed paperwork, so the signed loan documents, the wire, if the wire is received as well, if it's received in the morning, you can go record it in the afternoon. So typically if we receive it in the morning, we can push it to record same day. Now it really depends because for example, if we receive documents to for you to sign and we have to arrange to either get a notary out to you or for you to come into the office to sign, and then we have to get that original stack of paper to the recorder's office before their cutoff time, then you kind of might be pushing it. Typically, in my experience, if everything is handled in accordance with the escrow officer because every transaction is different and every situation is different, and geographically, if you're further away from the recorder's office, the longer it will take to get that original document to the recorder's office. If you are proactive and communicate with the escrow officer, the escrow officer will let you know kind of when documents are needed in order to make the cutoff. Because, for example, if the bank is on the East Coast and sends their wire late in their afternoon, it's not hitting us. It might miss that Federal Reserve cutoff time. So, again, it's all in perspective and kind of how the communication is. Because I've seen cases where it's, you know, you have parties on different sides of the world but everyone's communicating and everyone's be setting the correct expectation on when to close when when to receive the documents by and i've seen cases where everyone's local no one's communicating and that ball falls. So for me it's all about communication. If you communicate well, things will go smoothly because you set the expectation.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. Do you guys actually have someone in your office who drives to the county office to then like
0: give them a stack of paperwork? Yes, every morning. So every morning The title companies, there's a line. So in Santa Clara County, there's a line before it opens to the general public for title companies to be recording. And then in the afternoon, you want to record in the afternoon, we send someone down there and we record. Now, luckily, it's a very new process, but there are counties that are starting to adopt e-recording. And what that means is the escrow officer is able to submit the documents through the computer to record with the county. Now, not all counties are on it, But that is kind of the next phase and next wave we're seeing is hopefully more and more counties will adopt the e-recording concept and the e-recording process.
1: Thank goodness, because I know how beneficial it is to have just even DocuSign so you can sign your purchase and sales agreement. Exactly. Yeah, having e-recording would be great. And actually, I had an issue in the past where one of my buddies was traveling. He was in the Philippines. But because he was on title, he had to have his actual wet signature, have his thumbprint there, And we try to get him like an e-notary, but then they said it's not allowed.
0: Why? That's more on the political side. The county recorder's office requires the original document. And the county recorder's office also requires the wet signature and wet stamp of that notarized affidavit or a notarized acknowledgement or jurat, meaning it's the county's rule They will not record that document unless it is wet signed. And so and that's something that I won't get into too much today because there's a whole kind of separate talk on, you know, digital notaries and e-notaries and stuff like that. So I think in the future that will kind of be the norm. And I do know that the National Notary Association and the American Land Title Association are in talks on kind of how they can kind of take the notary part to the 21st century.
1: Yeah, because it is super inconvenient to... So right now, for everyone listening, if you have a friend that's traveling overseas and you need to sign documents, you have to actually go to the embassy.
0: Or consulate, yeah.
1: And that means you have to create, like, uh, you need to make an appointment, right? And who knows when you're going to be able to go to the embassy. Who knows if you're able to even go to the embassy because you're traveling on some other island, right? The embassy is in the capital. So...
0: (laughs) Mm-hmm, exactly. So, and that kind of leads me back to my original point, which is the bu- communication aspect. Because if you are a, if you're representing a seller who is going to be traveling out of town or is out of town, and if the settlement agent or the escrow officer knows in advance, they can arrange a power of attorney for that seller to assign someone else to sign. So they don't have to go through that. So again, it's all about communication. I think in, especially in the settlement process, which is the escrow process, the more communication you have, the safer it is, and the more smooth that transaction will be. Because, again, you set the expectations in order to do so.
1: Just FYI for everyone listening, even if you do this power of attorney thing, you need to have that done before they leave out of the country. Otherwise, you're going to have the same issue where you have to go to NBC anyway. How do you even get a power of attorney? Like, How does that whole process
0: work? Okay, good question. So, in the title world, power of attorneys are handled a little bit differently than a traditional power of attorney, let's say, for healthcare or for that your your trust attorney prepares. So, I'm going to kind of only talk about it on the title side because that's my experience. But on the title side, that power of attorney needs to be, be prepared by the title company and needs to be signed with a notary that has been approved by the title company. So, not... Any notary or not all notaries are approved. The title company has further requirements and further guidelines for their notaries. So let's say I'm buying a house. I am out of town. Okay, so before I go out of town, I let my real estate agent or I let my escrow officer know and say, hey, I'm going to be out of town in the next two weeks. I'm flying out next week. Can we set an appointment to get that note power of attorney signed with your notary? Either we can send one to their house or they can come into any office to sign it. So that's typically how it works. It needs to be prepared for that property, for that transaction.
1: I see. Because we were thinking about having our buddy sign all the documents before he left. But of course, documents weren't prepared by the time he left. This seems really smart because instead of having two people sign a whole stack of paperwork, you just have one guy sign the power of attorney and have the other guy just sign everything. Exactly. Interesting. So... Another question for you is: For example, sometimes there are like all cash deals where, let's say, a brother and sister want to buy a property, and their mom is the one that is producing the down payment or most of the cash. Who needs to actually sign on the document? Is it only the brother and sister who are on the purchase and sale agreement, or does the mom need to do it as well?
0: Good question. So, will the mom who is basically providing the funds will she have a lien on the property or a private deed of trust? On the property, or she's 100% gifting it. It's
1: just, yeah, it's just money.
0: Okay. If she's funding it, I'm going to take a step back. So the title holders need to sign the escrow and title paperwork. Now, for example, if she is providing the money and if she is sending that money directly to escrow, so let's say the mom is sending the funds directly to escrow and the mom is not on title, then that mother needs to sign what is called a third party deposit instructions, meaning the funds is coming from her. She's authorizing the funds to be used for this transaction. She's not a party to the transaction. And basically the title and escrow company cannot disclose any information to her because she's not a party to the transaction. That's one page she needs to fill out.
1: Does that page need to be signed and notarized?
0: In the U? It needs to be signed, does not need to be notarized.
1: Okay. And it can be document signed too.
0: Yeah. And again, it could vary from title company to title company but in my experience with the company I work for it does not need to be notarized all right
1: cool that's convenient so like for example my girlfriend's mom was going to help them purchase a property but she's in Hong Kong right and access to a HELOC so she wants you to be able to take the money and help them buy a house but having to fly back to the United States or go to embassy is a huge pain in the
0: butt exactly so she would just send the money or write a cashier's check, if the bank's local, or in that instance, we would provide third-party deposit instructions for her to sign.
1: Got it. Uh, What if you're not a citizen? Is there anything that foreigners need to worry about in terms of title company and last stuff?
0: Yeah, very good question, actually. In kind of in the economic downturn, we saw between 2006 and 2011, we saw a lot of foreign investors purchasing homes, all cash, right? We saw a lot of that. Every day in all of our offices, we saw a lot of foreign money and that was actually uh, a big topic around that time. Now we're seeing a lot of foreign selling transactions. So from a foreign seller perspective, on the title and escrow side, everything is the same. Now there is what's called the FERPTA withholding. So FERPTA stands for Foreign Investment in Real Property Tax Act. And basically that is an additional... I will not additional. That is a, a tax that's collected by escrow and it's an IRS requirement. So if you're a foreign seller and your CPA determines that you are a foreign seller, the way you fill that out on our form will indicate if we are required to withhold. And if we are required to withhold, then we will do the necessary withholdings based on the sales price.
1: Is that basically in case they take the money to like China and don't pay their, their taxes?
0: That's a good question. I am not sure why the government came out with the requirement, but I'm assuming that it is because the gov- Uncle Sam wants their money. And if they're not a citizen or not a U.S. resident, it may be harder to track, I think. So, I mean, you know, I mean, even in San Francisco, you have restaurant tax or, you know, I'm not, you know, there, there's these crazy taxes that I see. So. I wouldn't know kind of what was the rationale behind the legislation for that, but Uncle Sam wants their money.
1: So you mentioned uh, Fripta, and that reminded me of something else that I really, really hate, especially happens for flippers who don't have their properties, I guess, in LLC, but it's uh, what California franchise tax. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. You want to talk about that and why that's a thing?
0: of course, the franchise tax board also wants their money. So depending on if the property is a primary residence or not, or again, it's how they fill it out. So it's a little bit more complex than this. There is a form that the, that the seller will fill out with their CPA. And depending on how it's filled out, there may be a California withholding, which is 3.33%. So again, Franchise tax board wants their money as well. So, depending on how the investor or the homeowner fills that form out, if they do not qualify or if they are exempt from that withholding, then there will not be the three point three three withholding. But depending on how, again, that's how they fill that form that fill that form out with their CPA.
1: And uh, that's three point three three percent of total sales price. Geez, see that's so much, right? The sales price, yes. And uh, I know when I sold one of my flips, that happened to me. And I was like, what the hell is this? Uh, yeah, yeah. Although, just FYI for everyone there, you don't have to pay that, obviously, if you take a loss. Have you dealt with other investors who are more creative, like on
0: the double close side or wholesaling? Good question. In the Silicon Valley, we see more flippers. We don't see too much wholesalers or double escrows. More common in especially the area I'm in, I'm in the Cupertino, Sunnyvale, Saratoga area. We see more flips, but yes, we have encountered uh, wholesalers and flippers and even double escrows or assignment of contracts, but that's on more on the rare side. Most of the time we see flips. So we see an investor will purchase a property, acquire that property, and within one, two years, maybe three years, sell that property. So that's kind of what we see more of.
1: Uh, So besides having a binder policy and maybe writing the right proper or having the right documentation so that you don't have to pay that California franchise tax, is there anything else you think that investors should be aware of when dealing with title and escrow?
0: Very good question. So I'm going to break it down. On the tax side, I would say they have to work with their CPA to determine kind of what's the best practice for them. Now on the title side, I would say the best kind of advice I can give is to communicate. That's number one is to communicate. But number two that I see is the skilled and the unskilled labor. So of course, you know, as an investor, if you want to make the biggest profit, you know, I see cases where investors or even home, home buyers or contractors are cutting corners And that's kind of where the whole mechanic lean side can bloom. So I would typically say as long as you are using a reputable contractor or a general contractor licensed and subcontractors that are licensed, you'll be fine. Because if they're licensed, they must meet certain requirements. And so typically in those cases that we see, if they're using licensed contractors, typically we see that the acknowledgments they have to sign the affidavits they have to sign or the indemnities they have to sign it's typically easier for us to to get those signed because i've seen cases where the contractors disappear so and that becomes an issue so yeah so i would actually you know really put the the labor and the contractors i would say typically you know just really focus on that try not to cut corners because the more corners you cut, the bigger the problems end up.
1: Awesome. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we end the show
0: today? I would typically say, again, it's the communication aspect. Um, The title insurance industry is a very, very interesting industry because insurance is about risk. So how a home is insured and underwritten is not black and white. So typically, the more complex that home's title is, kind of the longer and the more look the title company will need to focus on. So I would say typically, you know, if you have a lot of time or if you have time to start the conversations early, get those necessary underwriting approvals in. And again, communicate. You'll be good to go.
1: Cool. So Jack, how can people get in contact with you?
0: The listeners or viewers are able to email me. My email address is jack at jacklyn.us. So Jack, uh, my last name's Lynn, L-I-N, so first name at jacklyn.us. And my phone number is area code 408 876 And where can people find you? Are you located based in South Bay as well? Yeah, I myself am located in the South Bay. I'm in Silicon Valley. I have offices throughout the Bay Area. So yeah, Individuals want to contact me and would like to work with our company, I'm happy to put them in touch with my offices. Perfect.
1: All right, Jackie, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for sharing all of your information about title and escrow companies. I definitely learned a lot. And I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Cool. Take care. Thank you. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode it's all about communication. If everyone is coordinated and communicating with each other, the title and escrow process will go by smoothly. If you're purchasing a flip, Buy a binder policy to save thousands of dollars when you sell a rehab property in a few months. Have your partner sign a power of attorney document so that only one of you needs to sign the docs. This is especially useful if they plan on being out of the country when you close. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.